0: Hello and welcome to What's Killing My Kale. This is a podcast from University of Minnesota Extension all about integrated pest management tactics for vegetable and fruit producers. I'm Annie Claude
1: and I'm an Extension Educator here for fruit and vegetable production. And I'm Natalie Hoidel, an Extension Educator with the Pesticide Safety and Environmental Education team.
0: Hello and thanks for joining us for this episode. I'm going to be interviewing Natalie today about pesticides and fruit and vegetable production, including the use of pest control products in organic farms. So a lot of people might have seen you, Natalie, out at the conferences this past winter or at regional meetings talking about a survey about pest management and about the use of pesticides and spray products on their farms. So Natalie, can you tell us a bit about what that survey was?
2: When I started with the pesticide safety and environmental education team about a year ago, I came in really interested in working in horticulture systems. Um, Just because that's my background, I've worked on a number of organic fruit and vegetable farms. And so I really wanted to do some work um, continuing in that tradition with fruit and vegetable growers. And I started asking around uh, specifically about pest management needs and pesticide safety needs. And heard from a number of people that, well, people have a lot of questions. They don't always know where to go. There aren't a lot of good resources focused on those systems. And so, in order to try to get some baseline information and just kind of understand what are people doing, what are people's needs, I decided to just go around and ask people, do a survey, did some focus groups and interviews with um, different fruits and vegetable growers to understand kind of the the baseline situation.
0: You mentioned that you have worked on a couple of organic farms. Can you tell us more about that and how your experience influences your interest in the topic?
2: Yeah. Um, so I grew up on kind of an, <laughs> I grew up on a very non-traditional farm in a sense. Um, my family did cactus and succulent production. And so I grew up in a kind of a a very niche horticultural environment where we didn't necessarily have a lot of information. And um, and I think just based on that, I'm really interested in getting better information out to specialty crop producers because I, through just seeing my family go through that growing up, I sort of know what it's like to be a farmer who doesn't have a lot of connections to good information. Um, And then I guess through through my studies, I've worked on a couple of different organic farms and, yeah, kind of seeing the same things. I think organic farmers have really mastered cultural control and, like, whole systems approaches to agriculture. But what I saw in a number of cases was in situations where, like, the approach was we're not going to spray anything. Um, there were sometimes situations where, one disease or one insect problem would be really, really bad. And in a case where you decide we really need to do something about this, we really need to spray it if we're going to have a successful crop this year. And again, some people just due to different ideologies about farming might decide we're not going to spray it at all. We'll just let that one go and focus on the other crops. But for folks who do decide we need to spray this, I... I guess my goal is to make sure that people are ready to do that and prepared and have the tools to do it safely, rather than just kind of being stuck in a moment where you have to act really quickly without having a lot of background or tools built up to be able to do it effectively and safely.
0: When you talk about pesticides, can you just define for the audience what you define as a pesticide?
2: Yeah, definitely. So I think we often, when we think of pesticides, we think of big chemical companies and people sort of define pesticides very narrowly, whereas from from our team's perspective, with an extension, we're basically talking about any product that is used to control a pest problem. That could be an insect, weed, or disease. And so that could be a synthetic product, um, or it could be like concentrated vinegar or something that you're using. So any pest control product that you're using, we sort of think broadly as pesticides. Um, And I know that there's a a pretty significant spectrum there when we're talking about like soap versus um, a commercially produced product. But I think our approach is to recognize that when sometimes when we think of certain things as pesticides and other things as not, we treat those things differently. And so our concern is that if we put something in a box like this is not a pesticide, therefore this is safe, people won't treat it in the same way. Um, And so we sort of calling all of those products pesticides, we approach it with the idea that anything we're applying to our fields, we should just be really careful about and we should understand that there are potential health implications and food safety implications. And so considering everything, so we have a saying, treat every product as if it were the most toxic product, because humans have this tendency to, when we think of something as safe, treat it maybe more carelessly. And so, by sort of grouping everything together, we approach it as treat everything in a way where we're minimizing exposure and minimizing environmental impact.
0: Okay, so you know, I think to go along with that you're you're doing this because you care a lot about the organic community clearly, and mm-hmm. it seems to me you know you're doing this because you want to help farmers who are using you know any range of pesticides. Um, to control pests, to make sure we're doing it in the most effective way. That's going to be the safest
2: way that they possibly can. Mm-hmm. Would that yeah, be it correct? It frustrating in organic communities because there's not as much information, and often sort of products like or the organic type products are dismissed very easily without really doing a lot of research to understand why they work and how they work, um, and giving people good recommendations. So I know. A lot of people in the organic community are very frustrated by the way that pesticides are treated and just the way that general sort of pest management recommendations are handled or not handled when it comes to addressing the needs of that community. So I think we want to try to do a better job of reaching out and getting people the information that they need regardless of the types of practices they're using.
0: And I agree. I think there need to be a lot more resources out there for uh, people applying organic products or not wanting to use products at all um, for pest management. What were some of the questions that you asked in your survey?
1: So one of the first questions we asked was we asked people to self-sort into four different groups um, according to their pest management practices. And so people could choose um, no pesticides, so they don't use anything at all for pest management or only homemade or natural products, or products labeled for organic systems. And then the fourth group was synthetic products. And we also asked them to write down a list of five or six of the main pest control substances that
2: they use on their farm. And that was a place where we found some maybe conflicting information in the sense that a lot of people are thinking of certain products in a way that's different from how we would think of them. So for example, neem oil is one really big one that stands out. There are a lot of people who say they don't use any pesticides, uh, but they use neem oil on their crops. And that was actually quite a few people who did that. Um, Neem is a a very effective product. It is a natural product in the sense that it comes from the neem tree. Um, So it's not always, it can be synthesized, but you can get like a natural version of it as well. And it can be a very effect, effective pest management, or a very effective pest management strategy. Um, but I think the problem with not thinking of it as a pesticide is just that it it is an um, an insect growth regulator. So it it does some of the same things that some conventional pesticides do, but it also does have some toxicity associated with it. There are a number of cases um, throughout the world of people getting poisoning. It can affect your liver. And so it's all about the dose in some senses, like in very low doses, it's used in like toothpaste and different skin creams. But for something to be effective as a pesticide, you often have to use it in a really high dose. And so when it gets to that dose and when you're buying really concentrated products, there's then the potential for human health effects. And I know that that's true of all products. Like that is not to, to say that name is bad. It's just to say it's important to think of things often when they get, to, even if they're natural, when they get to a concentrated point where you're actually killing insects or treating other pets with them, there are definitely some human health effects to be aware of. And so, we just want to be be cognizant of that and to sort of encourage people to think of even these natural products as products that can potentially cause harm. I think one other example is the BT products, so Bacillus thuringiensis. Is a bacteria that lives in the soil and produces a toxin um, that is toxic to lepidoptera. So, yeah, to insects in the lepidoptera family.
0: Oh, what are some examples of lepidoptera?
2: So moths, butterflies. A lot of the caterpillar insects that then become moths and butterflies are very destructive insects in some crops. And so there are a lot of different bt products or other strains of bacillus bacteria that are marketed as organic again they're naturally occurring soil bacteria but they they're sold in a dust and so this is an interesting case where like the active ingredient is not the thing causing harm but they're sold in dust which can be really damaging to your lungs and so you actually need to wear a respirator with those products and this summer when i talked to Different farmers and did some focus groups, I heard multiple people say, oh, yeah, I've been using that product for years. And when I would ask, did you wear a respirator with it? They said, no, of course not. It's organic. And so, again, just this idea that because something is labeled one way doesn't necessarily make it safe. And so we just want to make sure that people have kind of understanding and the resources to use these products safely.
0: All right. So since there are definitely safe ways to use these products in ways mm-hmm. that are approved, but I know we just talked a few minutes ago about how there aren't enough resources out there for organic growers. So with those two things in mind, where should growers be getting the information about how to apply neem oil safely at the right concentrations and how to get a respirator um, how to know whether you need a respirator for some of these organic products?
2: Yeah, so. Um... One quick answer is in in a couple of episodes from now we're going to be interviewing um, a researcher named Linda uh, Chalker Scott in Washington who spent her whole career basically trying to understand these different natural remedies and like Epsom salts for example and in what context they really work and what other contexts they don't work sort of how we better sift through that information but one really one really general thing to go by is just again this idea of using products that are labeled, that have been reviewed by the EPA. There are plenty of products that are natural, like different formulations of neem or the BT examples that have labels. And basically all that does is it means that people study this really, really well under very controlled conditions to understand things like re-entry intervals, when is it safe for you to re-enter that field. um, Harvest intervals, so when can you harvest that product to sell for food. Um, or to eat yourself and then they also have personal protective equipment recommendations on there so if you need a respirator it'll say so on the label Um, if you need eyewear etc you know we always tell people to wear long sleeves long pants shoes and gloves at least for mixing and loading but sometimes you do need that extra step and so a label is a good place to find that
0: All right. So physically, the label of the product, just to clarify, the label Mm -hmm. on the product that you buy will have this information. I know that labels can be pretty wordy sometimes.
2: Yes. And you know (laughs) if there
0: are resources out there that can kind of, you know, simplify those labels or map out a label just to make it seem a little more reader-friendly?
2: Yeah. So I guess the problem is they're not all the same. So you really do want to read the label of that specific product, but there are there are places to look on that label. So looking at personal protective equipment, that will always be a separate section. You always want to make sure that the product is labeled for a specific crop. So sometimes it'll say, like, this product controls this insect pest. And that's actually, I mean, you want to make sure it does that. You want to make sure the product is using it effective. But what the law says is you have to make sure it's labeled for the crop. And so if you're trying to control like cabbage moth or if you're trying to control an insect um, in cabbage you want to make sure the product is labeled for brassicas or cabbage because the, the way they calculate that is based on it's for food safety it's not necessarily for effectiveness so you want to make sure that that plant will break down that specific product. You then just go to that section of the label that says for cabbage or for brassica plants and that's where it'll tell you things like reentry and involve pre harvest interval, things like that.
0: Okay. And I know there's a lot
2: more, that's not a ton of information, but I guess the best thing I can say is we really want to start working on this. And I think because of because so many people have come forward and said like there's some shame around this, people don't know where to ask questions. They don't know like People maybe don't necessarily know how to calibrate a sprayer, they'd like a hands-on demo, but it might be, you might not want to go to a public workshop about it, and so we're trying to figure that out too, and we would love to hear from you about ways that we could do that in a way that is comfortable for people and accessible for people, but still gets you the information that you need.
0: Calibrating a sprayer and other things like that to uh, make most effective and efficient. Can you expand on that a little bit? What are some of the topics that people are curious about? And also, can you just define what it means to calibrate a sprayer and why this is important?
2: Yeah. So, so a lot of the questions that people asked were, like, how do we choose the right product? Um, one really good resource is Upper Midwest Fruit and Vegetable Guide. Um, People ask a lot of questions just about equipment, like how do I choose the right sprayer if I'm going to? How do I choose the right nozzle? How do I calibrate? Calibration, um, basically when you buy a product, it's going to be concentrated. And so calibration is just kind of the act of getting the right amount of product mixed with water for your application. And so like if you're doing a backpack spray Mm -hmm. or a backpack application, you need to know things like how much area are you covering? and how fast are you walking, because that determines the amount of product that's going to come out of the sprayer at a given time. So you just want to make sure you're getting the right amount on, and so that takes a little bit of work and a little bit of math to make sure you're doing it correctly. And there are some really good videos on the internet that you can watch. Um, you can just look up like backpack sprayer calibration. It is nice to try it in person, but there are some easy ways to look up kind of basic how-to guides, and it's always worth practicing a few times with water.
1: But basically, if you spray too much, you're potentially wasting a lot of money, and there are definitely some potential environmental impacts as
2: well. And then if
1: you don't spray enough, you risk resistance.
2: So you risk like just putting, it's almost like, think of an antibiotic course. If you take one or two of your antibiotics, and then you stop, you risk that bacteria or whatever's in your system getting resistance to that and then not being as effective next time. You want to do the full course, which is sort of the same as doing the full dose, like a pest control product.
0: Okay. And also, if you do the full dust recommended, it'll have a better chance of actually controlling the pest at hand. Right, right of actually being effective. Yep, yeah. yeah, exactly. Okay. So I think videos are a great way to learn, something like calibration, um, something like using a backpack sprayer, making sure that the pressure stays consistent. I know the pressure staying consistent on a backpack sprayer is something that can be a big challenge. So looking at videos online is great. I think that people can also reach out to you. Isn't that right?
2: Yeah, definitely. Definitely encourage people to reach out and ask any questions they have. The other big topic that came up a lot is pesticide drift. And so that is something we are going to be dedicating one entire and very long and in-depth episode to in the very near future, um, as well as doing some talks this winter at some farm conferences around Minnesota.
1: Actually, just as a plug for the Minnesota Fruit and Vegetable Growers Association Conference, a lot of the things that we are talking about today are going to be addressed at their annual conference in January. So we're going to be talking about drift, Um, There's going to be someone there who is an expert on equipment, who can help people who are making decisions about what types of equipment they might want to buy, who have questions about calibration, nozzles, things like that. And so a lot of the things that we found um, to be needs in this needs assessment will be addressed there, and hopefully in other places as well, but that's kind of the first place where we'll be uh, presenting a lot of this work.
0: Um, as we wrap up here, what are some of the main takeaways that you want fruit and vegetable farmers to know from your survey?
2: Yeah, so I think I mean, one thing is just basically, like we see you, we see that there are a lot of needs that we are we could do a better job of addressing. Um, it can be kind of hard to get really good information if you're doing, kind of alternative practices Um, and so we want to continue to reach out to you and work with you. We're really happy to receive questions um, and we're going to keep working on developing resources. So some of the main takeaways I think are even if you're using natural products, um, that's great. I think all farmers have a lot to learn from organic farmers, Um, a lot of different cultural control practices and sort of a systems approach to farming. But if you are using products um, that are these sort of natural or homemade products, you just want to be really careful about food safety, um, using labeled products, and thinking thinking of your own safety and understanding that, like, even if these things are labeled as safe, um, organic, natural, there can be some pretty significant health effects. And so, just to, I guess, be vigilant when you're when you're reading things that are labeled that way, just to really be sure that. You're getting all the information you need to keep yourself safe and using practices like wearing personal protective equipment to make sure that you're doing that.
0: Thank you for joining us for this episode of the podcast. As always, we appreciate your feedback. Please provide feedback so that we can improve our podcast and continue doing this in the future. To find the evaluation form, you can go to our list of episodes on www.fruitedge.umn.edu slash kale podcast. Thanks, see you next time.